What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where I, Kyle, from Kyle Curtin Real Estate, interview local top dogs in the real estate investing, wealth building, and personal finance industries. Let's build together. What's up, guys? In this first of two-part episode, there is a ton of really valuable info for anyone looking to get into the short-term rental and Airbnb slash Verbo space. Jason shares his unbelievable stories and valuable tips from his experiences purchasing and running his multiple Airbnb properties, especially through the waves of the pandemic. Jason's story was extremely interesting to listen to, and in our chat, we explore how he acquired his first property, learning how to manage it and solve some intense problems that came up, and how he was forced to adapt to a surprise pandemic. There are lots of very valuable principles in this episode, and I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right into the episode. Welcome to episode 21 of the Creating Wealth podcast. Today, I have the great pleasure of interviewing Jason Muth, a part-time short-term rental real estate investor with a few properties in Massachusetts. Jason, I'm very happy to have you on here. What's going on, man? How is everything going? It's going great. Having a great day. It's uh, nice and snowy and cold outside. (laughs) So... Uh, you know, typical New England February. Oh yeah, of course. We've had quite a yeah. bit recently, quite a bit yeah, coming you, too. Yeah, you say you say you're a little chilly yourself. So um, yeah. I'm in a nice warm room though. Even though I'm I'm up on the top floor of our place, uh, we have heat up here zoned separately. So it's always nice and toasty up here. Of course, we can't yeah. beat it. <laughs> so to jump right into things, Jason, um, you know what kind of got you into real estate? You know what's kind of your backstory? You know, if you could just kind of tell me a little bit about, you know, what got you into everything. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, I don't do real estate full time. Um, I've been connected to it, you know, my whole, much of my life, actually. My father uh, was a real estate appraiser and agent uh, as one of his jobs uh, growing up. But, um, you know, I've worked in the media my whole life and I work uh, with digital marketing. I work with media research. Like I've just kind of done that for longer than I care to admit. Um, and I, I really do wish I found real estate investing earlier. Um, but you know, everyone finds it at the right time in their lives. Um, it's such a, you know, it's such an interest, like, you know, not like I'm not interested in what I do for my full-time job, but you know, the real estate side is, um, it's a great side hustle for me. I think um, I'm married to a real estate broker uh, and an attorney. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll plug his place later on, but um, you know, we're around it a lot. So I, I, I speak the language. Um, you know, I think that I got a little lucky like years ago when I bought my first place here in Boston and I picked South Boston um, 18 years ago. And you know, there was a wave of redevelopment that was happening back then when all the triple deckers were getting purchased uh, and renovated and sold off as condos. Um, you know, I remember I'm never going to be a lifelong Southie person. Like, ask anybody from here, and you know, I'm a newcomer, obviously, but you know, but I have been here for a while. And uh, I remember back when. Uh, parking was really not that much of an issue in South Boston. Like when I first moved here, uh, there was very little residential parking um, besides near the T-stops and parking was never really a problem. But then, you know, the neighborhood got 
overdeveloped, um, not just with single family triple deckers or three apartments becoming three condos. Uh, you know, a lot of buildings were getting knocked down and, you know, larger giant buildings were getting put up in those buildings. So it became the neighborhood that it is right now. You know, it just continues gaining in popularity. Um, and I, I just got lucky. My agent was based here in Southie and thought I'd like it. So, um, you know, I, I bought a place, um, really didn't think much of real estate back then. You know, you're just now paying a mortgage and, you know, kind of paying yourself instead of paying rent. Um, but when I went to go sell that place, you know, and I realized how much it appreciated 10 years later, and we bought the place that we're in right now, um, we've been here for almost seven years and it was a new building. You know, I started to see some bigger dollars and I was like, huh, this is actually interesting that, um, you know, a, a way that. I could accumulate wealth is, you know, far beyond just the job that I have and, you know, the money that they pay me where I work. So, um, you know, I just kind of filed that away and, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years after we bought this place and uh, we were up in New Hampshire um, uh, at a lake uh, called Baxter Lake. It's um, in Farmington, New Hampshire, which is, it's basically the border of Rochester and Farmington. So it's not like a, destination that people go to but the lake is a destination and it's always kind of been a second home community some people do live up there full time um and we saw a place for sale and it was down the street and places weren't flying off the shelves like they are today and that's when short-term rentals were starting to get bigger and i said you know we can give this a shot like you know i think that like if we were to uh buy this place and uh, put some uh, additional value into it, you know, because we saw some opportunities to improve it and give it a shot on Airbnb. Um, you know, I think it's going to be successful. Plus, we'll have a second place that we can um, we could visit because my in-laws have a second place down the street. So like we kind of thought it was like a good community in which to do this. Mm -hmm. We knew other people rented their places around the lake. So we did it. I, I mean, like, I, I think we research. I mean, I do research stuff, but uh, with big decisions like this, like I often make them very quickly, you know, I will dwell over stupid stuff at the grocery store um, and be excited to save three bucks with a coupon. But, you know, some of this real estate stuff, like it happens like that. So, you know, we put an offer in, negotiated. Next thing I knew, we owned a second place. <laughs> and then that kind of started, you know, the level of interest where I saw that real estate was a, a great way to build um, a secondary uh, stream of income, uh, build some passive wealth, which isn't always passive, uh, but, you know, really start to accelerate net worth. Yeah, that's, that's really crazy. You know, I really like, you know, kind of uh, what you mentioned about like the decision making and stuff. I totally mm -hmm. get what you're saying about like some of the small stuff, you know, kind of, you know, going back and forth and stuff. Um, you know, but I feel like that's, that's a really, you know, great thing, like with the real estate and stuff to be able to make decisions quick, mm -hmm. you know, and not necessarily like, you know, like dig too far deep into it, but, you know, yeah. just to make a decision quick, you know, and, and be able to be very decisive. I think it's important to do a lot of analysis. You have to run your numbers. You have to know the market. You have to know if there's an opportunity here. Um, you know, I saw somebody post Instagram yesterday about, uh, you know, the typical house hack where buy a duplex, live in one unit, the other unit, you know, you'll rent out, um, 
buy it for, I think the, the numbers are like buy it for 2000, rent the unit out for 1600. Now your rent's for uh, $400 and then move out a year later. And now you're renting out both sides of it for like three grand and your cash flow is a thousand. And I'm like, no, it's actually not that simple. <laughs> like, you know, you, that's actually kind of the wrong information because, you know, now you have to factor in everything else. You have to factor in vacancy. You have to factor in, um, yeah, you know, everything. CapEx, repairs, all that stuff. And like your cash flow is out, you know, is afterward. It's not, you know, your cash flow is X and all those things come out of there. But if you run your numbers and you know your market, then, you know, you can make fast decisions. Um, this, where we live right now, so we still live in Southie. We live in City Point now, which is the other side of South Boston um, mm -hmm. and is right, right by Castle Island. And uh, I was literally driving by this building. 2013, drove by it. I'm like, oh, look at those. I'm like, I kind of need some more space. I was sick of parking on the street after 10 years. Um, let's go look at that set up a showing, looked at it. I said, these aren't on the market yet. I want that one right there. I want the top floor. Here's what I'm going to offer. We negotiated. We got it. Like literally it all came together just like that. Um, same thing happened with the place in New Hampshire. Same thing happened with our other short-term rental, which is in Provincetown. We were looking and looking and looking and looking and looking. And then we went down to visit a bunch of places, didn't find the right thing. And then like one day uh, we were actually going to a softball tournament and I saw the listing pop on. And I was like, I think this is the one. Um, so, you know, I had Rory check it out um, online, reach out to the broker. Uh, it was on Cape Cod's MLS, which is different from the Boston MLS. So there's a bunch of notes that weren't available, like on the, you know, publicly available listings um, mm -hmm. that you see like on Zillow and Redfin, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, like we let the other broker kind of give us a, that information throughout the day as we were playing. Um, you know, we looked at it that night. Uh, we put an offer in the next day, sight unseen. Um, with some protections inside, you know, in case I needed to back out, like literally like he, I mean, he's an attorney also. So like, he knows what, he knows what to put in there to be able to back out of stuff. So yeah. not even your thousand dollars is, uh, is in jeopardy. Um, but you know, we went down the next weekend, uh, with the inspector and checked the place out, everything checked out. And then, you know, next thing you know, we have a second one now, which, you know, they all came together really quick. And I got to tell you, like, just like you, you probably analyze deals all the time, right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, and you're analyzing far more deals than you're even putting offers in on because that's what that's what everyone does. And even in a market where there's a ton of inventory, which there is not right now, but like, let's say there was, you still want to analyze and get the right deals. And if you know kind of what the numbers are that work, when you see it, you should be able to move. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened. That That's what happened with our current place that we own. It kind of happened with New Hampshire. It definitely happened with Provincetown. And yeah, I mean, like there's a couple other things we, we could talk about some of the investments that we have that I have, you know, throughout this podcast, but um, a lot of them were quick decisions just because you kind of did your homework in advance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Like, you know, just doing the homework, you know, about your market and like, you know, properties mm -hmm. that are very similar you know, like going through the motions and stuff before. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you already, you know, probably have like a rough idea once something comes up, like, oh, is this something that would be in my wheelhouse? You know, that could be potentially mm -hmm. worth putting an offer in on. And like, you already kind of have the ability to make that decision and, and just, you know, pull the trigger on it and yeah. kind of act really fast. Yeah. And, and now I could do that in the markets where we we're operating right now. Like I'll look at other stuff that pops on in, in Provincetown and I'm like, you know, 
you can't make any money with that one. Can't make money with that one. Like oh, most of the things right now you can't make, make any money with even short-term vacation rentals um, just because the numbers are too high. Like that market's, you know, a little off the, off the table, um, yeah. you know, so, but I'd, I'd love to do a second place there, but I'm not sure that's where I'd put my next dollar. Like if I were to invest in another one, it, it might not be right there right, right now because things have gotten really hot and the vacation rental market is still really good there. I, we had a, a surprisingly good year, even through COVID last year. Um, and 2021's gotten off to a really good start with a lot of people just looking to get away. Um, but you know, that town needs, it's a party town, right? I mean, it's a beautiful town, but there, you need everything to be open for it to yeah. really, really shine. Flourish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely going to ask at some point, um, you know, about how like COVID, you know, kind of impacted you guys, you know, with the, mm -hmm. the short term rentals. I know you yeah. said it was surprisingly well. So if you could, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it was a roller coaster though. Um, yeah. so, you know, here it is, you know, people are listening to this podcast at various points throughout the year. So, um, you know, hopefully when you're listening to this, whoever you are, we're all vaccinated and things are going back to kind of what, what the normal is that we remember. Um, but I bet you that you're probably listening to it where that hasn't happened just yet. So, you know, last March, we actually were afraid there was going to be kind of a really big lockdown here in mass. Like we, you know, we didn't know we're only watching, you know, we watch the purge on TV and we, you know, see the news and we're like, <laughs> all right, they're going to shut the borders. Like, you know, they're going to freeze all of our, you know, credit accounts, you know? So like, I went into like survival mode. They're gonna you know, lay us all off from our jobs and everything. So I went to survival mode. Like we we pulled money out of our HELOCs yep. um, to have cash, literally cash, just do it. I was like, I don't care if I'm paying interest on this for a few months. I wanna have cash just in case it weren't happen at work or if I just need some money. Yeah. We packed up and took off and went up to New Hampshire um, shortly after uh, St. Patrick's Day last in 2020 and we did not have renters for a couple months like i think that my last renter left new hampshire um in early march and usually like march april is a quiet season up there anyway like we caught we kind of call it the mud the mud season um because everything's kind of muddy <laughs> you know the snow starting <laughs> to melt yeah so uh yeah so we didn't have to cancel anybody um and we just went up there and we lived there for three months um, you know, we came back to Boston every so often just to kind of check on the plants and, um, you know, change the pace, like we're already popping the office every so often, but like we were up there for three months, daycare was closed, um, didn't have renters, we wanted more space to stretch out. So um, it was good that we had it, because it's, it's a livable, I mean, it's a 2000 square foot cape up in, um, up on the lake, so there's plenty of room. Um, but you know, I was looking at my rental calendar and it was getting scary because I was getting cancellations left and right, but it wasn't just the cancellations. It was, I didn't know if we were going to be able to rent it. Like if you remember in Maine, uh, Maine was basically not allowing people in the state to stay overnight in hotels and short-term rentals, unless you were from somewhere else in Maine or a couple other places. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I actually have a, a friend who, they bought a place in a gunkwit and this past year was the first one that they were going to be doing vacation rentals. And I actually haven't asked him how he did, but I don't think he was able to rent it that much just because of the restrictions. Yeah. So, and you have to follow the local ordinances. I mean, like some of these communities give licenses out, like we're licensed in New Hampshire. I have a license in P-Town. Um, they could always pull the licenses. So like, you kind of want to be really, 
above the line there. But we had a lot of cancellations. So I was like, geez, like I got a bunch of mortgage payments to make and I need to figure out a way to, um, to fill the place up. Um, so we just waited a little bit longer. Like, you know, as, as, as things went on, um, I started to get more inquiries. Um, we ended up getting an inquiry in May for the Cape and I took it and I don't think I was allowed to actually at the time, like I think there were still some ordinances. So I think there were some people from the town or other neighbors that might've uh, noticed that the place was for sale. I got a phone call from uh, the town of Provincetown asking. Um, so, you know, people tend to tell on each other sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I get it. I totally get it. Everyone was afraid um, yeah. and they still should be and they are afraid. I mean, the COVID's been terrible. Um, but with that said, uh, we started to get bookings again when it was safe to travel again. And then we started to get a lot of bookings. Um, and I was really flexible with the pricing too. Like I, I adjusted the pricing to the point that I wanted to get things filled up um, more than I might've. Like I, I certainly didn't drop it by huge percentages, but I was taking deals. Like if people were asking, hey, can I get a discount on this? Or if I stay longer, can I do this? I, I, was, I was considering them all. And I was uh, very flexible with the pricing through the summer because I just wanted to really start getting some bookings. Um, we ended up taking a booking in, let me think, daycare reopened in July. We took a booking for last June in New Hampshire for the whole month. And that kind of got us to come back to Boston because I got someone to reach out to me and say, hey, listen, like we need to get out of New York City. Your place looks great. We could do some remote learning and everything. Um, can I rent it for the month? Here's kind of what I'm willing to, to pay. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. So I kind of got some things back on the calendar. Like I had full calendars booked. I mean, January, February, like I had the full summer booked in Provincetown. Like it was like, great. Uh, and then it, it literally all canceled. So I had to rebook everything, but you know, that's where Verbo and Air, um, Airbnb are great because, you know, they are the marketing engines behind getting your place booked. And, um, you know, I was just paying attention to pricing, to demand, um, you know, travel restrictions, things started opening up a little bit more. Um, and we just started taking bookings. So things started to book up again through the summer. Once we left New Hampshire, came back to Boston, um, daycare opened like a month later. So like I was, just, we were just here in the condo, you know, being daddies uh, and, you know, I try to try to do our jobs and, and get our places rented as well. Um, but, you know, it filled up to the point that the fall also filled up and the fall does really well in New Hampshire. Um, Provincetown, it does well too. Like the, like it, Provincetown probably is good until like early December. Like there's a, um, a weekend called Holly Folly, which is in early December and things are pretty steady through then in a typical year. Um, and this year was no different. Like even though a lot of the events were not happening, the parties around town and and what have you, they all got canceled. But people still wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, we just made sure everything was clean, disinfected um, in between guests, um, and 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 we got things booked up for the rest of the year. Uh, the final numbers: New Hampshire, I think, was ahead of where we were in 2019. Provincetown was behind but it was only off by like 15 percent uh which is good and then this year like things just have just been crazy like q1 i think is like double my q1 from last year when i add the two together 
um, in terms of gross revenue. And, you know, it doesn't all materialize in terms of net because you're, you're paying for more cleanings and, and, and that kind of thing. You know, you're paying for more utilities because um, more are being used. But the gross rentals were about twice as much for this current quarter that we're in right now. Um, the rest of the calendar has booked at a rate quicker than it has in a usual year. So I'm going back to 2019 as a typical year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm really optimistic this year is going to be good again. I think a lot of people just needed uh, drivable vacations. You know, like people aren't going to Disney World. They're not going to California. They're not, you know, going to the Caribbean. You can't leave the country in many situations. I mean, like we did a, we did a trip last fall uh, where we rented an Airstream office, a service kind of like uh, Airbnb that rents, um, rents trailers. Mm -hmm. And we drove to New York uh, and went all throughout upstate New York for like, you know, just over a week and stayed at campsites. And, you know, it was like perfect fall foliage. And we went to a bunch of places. I'm from New York originally, but everything upstate and Western New York, you know, is just a world away from just outside New York City, which is where I'm from. Uh, so it was almost a you know, a new destination for me. Actually, everywhere that we went, I'd never been to before in my whole life. And, you know, we saw campgrounds that were pretty busy. Um, we know that people were just doing socially distant vacations uh, with their families. And, and that's why I think Airbnb and, and Verbo and the short-term rentals um, ended up having a blockbuster year uh, once things reopened, because people just couldn't go to the typical places that they wanted to vacation. Uh, and then you add on top of that, people want to get out of the house and they want to remain safe and stay within their family unit. So they need a little bit more space to spread out. Um, you know, you're not going to a hotel that you're sharing common, um, common hallways and breakfast areas with other people. Uh, you're going like you're bringing your family unit to another place and you're having your vacation there. And, um, you know, it ended up actually working out really well that we had the two places that we could offer up for short-term vacation rentals. And I don't think that's gonna change anytime in the near future. I mean, I, I kept saying, I even think I told this to you, like if I had three more places in New Hampshire last year, ready to go, like they all would have booked up. Like the, the demand was there, it just was. So this year I raised my rates. <laughs> that's definitely you know one uh one heck of a roller coaster you know it, it yeah. sounds like you guys kind of went on and um you know it, it's really interesting to see you know now kind of like people's mentalities of you know just like you said like just staying together as as like a family unit and going to certain places and you know starting to rent stuff out again like within the state and like you know just going to the beach or mm -hmm. you know that's definitely you know really interesting and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens, you know, hopefully as things start to kind of die down a little bit, mm -hmm. um, you know, if it's going to keep that momentum and, uh, and, and keep going. Yeah. You know, and, and I got to say, we kind of fell into the short-term rental space. I mean, we only have the two yeah. um, and, and I do it all the wrong way. Like I manage everything myself. Um, you know, we're not paying a property manager for anything. Like I'm very hands-on with, um, you know, I hire out cleaners. So people, cleaning companies, you know, clean in between guests. But, you know, I did the cleanings myself before we got them going because I wanted to see what the process was like, you know, just to be like, 
let, let me clean it so I can explain it to somebody. So we did that a couple of times. And every so often we'll still do the cleaning. Like if I can't get somebody that can do it, um, I'll just, I'll charge the fee and I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. In most situations, the cleanings are not that bad. I mean, I've also found that in, in many years of doing this, um, that the, the guests, every so often you get like a, you know, a bad apple or you'll get something that just didn't work out correctly. But for the most part, the guests kind of treat it like their own home. And sometimes you'll walk into it after, like I've walked into places that weren't, that my cleaner didn't clean and you think that they did. Like everything was like in order. Maybe you just have to do the laundry. That's about it. Um, Which obviously I clean everything, but it it looks like you didn't need to do anything. Um, But, you know, I I think that we, we fell into it and I like doing it. I'm not sure how many more I can manage myself. So that's when you, I have to start to kind of build up systems to have other people manage this stuff, which is what any investor will tell you. Like they're going to say work, you know, on your business, not for it. Um, but right now I'm okay with the, with the two. Like if I were to go to three and four, I might start to have to get a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what's great about the space is a couple things. I mean, like just, you know, with real estate, you could earn wealth multiple ways, right? There could be cash flow, or should be if you're renting it out correctly, uh, if it's a good deal. Um, the properties should appreciate yep. in value. You should have tax benefits. Um, you can depreciate a lot of stuff, right? So, like if you're depreciating over time, then you all you could also cancel out a lot of the income that's coming in. Yep. Um, not to say don't pay taxes, obviously, you know, we pay the taxes that we're required to pay, Yeah. but we certainly depreciate, you can't depreciate land, but you can depreciate the property. And if you're, if you're utilizing it for, um, you know, for the benefit of a short-term rental, then you might as well, like, you know, new improvements to the property, anything else is depreciable. It comes right. It, it kind of offsets a lot of the income that comes in and we also, since we file as a couple, since Rory is a real estate professional, he's allowed to write a lot of that stuff off immediately, like instead of depreciating it. So, oh. so you know, I, I don't know, don't quote me on the tax law, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's more than just the money coming in. I think that is the big benefit, you know, plus you're paying down your principal on your loan, you know, so like I, I take a look back before we had the, the vacation rental um, in New Hampshire, and I look now and I'm like, whoa, there's like a big delta with net worth because of all that stuff. I mean, like many years of paying down a, print, a principal on a loan adds up, um, you know, years of income coming in adds up and allows you to do more stuff with that money. Um, and then the, just the tax benefits of being able to have these types of investments uh, playing correctly within the tax laws. Uh, but not having to realize, you know, like pay taxes on all the income that comes in because there's other ways you could offset it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's, it, I think it's been like a no brainer for this whole period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's extremely interesting. Now, just out of curiosity, cause I don't know pretty much anything about short-term rentals, mm-hmm. you know, when everything, you know, started to kind of like shut down and get mandated and stuff, how did like the cleaning kind of go? Like, was there like rules for that, like set by the state? Uh, 
the, um, there were, yeah, the, some, some of the municipalities, and I only know the ones that we operate in, yeah. um, there was a lot of guidance given by the platforms. So by, oh, okay. you know, I keep saying Airbnb and Verbo because, and they want to call it Verbo, VRBO is what I always said, but I guess they switched their name and branding to Verbo. Uh, they, they were, when you log into the dashboards, like you see tons of messaging about COVID and cleaning and they've, they offered up lots of, um, discounts to companies that you could buy, um, to toiletries and cleaning supplies directly from. So they were giving a lot of guidance and they were actually recommending, um, additional levels of cleaning and then, you know, putting it in your, in the property listing that you were doing those additional cleanings. So, you know, there's that, there's the, you know, conversations you have with your cleaners, you know, just kind of going over some additional protocols and whatnot um, with things that you'd want them to do with the properties. You know, we don't, we don't have like people getting there every night. I mean, I know there are some people that do short-term rentals where they're renting it by the night or by every two nights. Um, we, we don't do that. I mean, the minimums, I have two night minimums in the off season. I think I switched that to three for Provincetown this year, and I've been getting a lot of three nighters. Um, in the summer, uh, it's five in New Hampshire, and then seven in Provincetown. And then I'll, if if there's gaps in the calendar, I'll, I'll play with the calendar a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's not like we have a different person in there every single day. So I mean, that certainly also helps. Mm -hmm. um, I have, you know, plenty of cleaning supplies that are available for the guests to use. So I kind of leave a lot of stuff out. Um, yeah. Not everything, like I, I don't leave, you know, all of my extra supplies out, but like I leave a lot of stuff in the cabinets. I don't think people steal anything. Um, there's hand sanitizer at both places that I bought that, you know, is, is still there because I bought big jugs of them. Um, and strangely enough, uh, the, the hoarder in me before all of this happened, had a ton of supplies. I'm a huge fan of BJ's Wholesale Club. Like, <laughs> I love BJ's Wholesale Club. Um, and you know, having a having a baby, she's she's two now. Like, you know, sometimes it's tough, like to to do anything. You can't just run into the store with the baby in the car. Like, so you're driving through a lot of you know drive-through places. Whenever I had the chance to go resupply, I would just spend a lot of money resupplying. I mean, like, you know, I'd run out of BJ's with $500, $600 bills because I'm paying for stuff that is going to be used over time and is not going to go bad. Garbage bags, uh, bounty towels, toilet paper, cleaners, all that stuff. I think when the shutdown happened and nobody could find toilet paper or um, or like uh, Clorox wipes or whatever those, um, you know, those disposable Lysol wipes and everything. Yep. I think among our three places, including where I live, um, I think I owned about 160 rolls of toilet paper. And I think I owned about 60 canisters, big canisters of Lysol wipes. Um, I, I just happened to have them because yeah. they were at all the places and they were locked away in the owner's closet and what have you, because again, they're, they're not going to go bad. So I didn't know all that was coming. Like, I just kind of always had that on hand. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of lucky um, going into, you know, the, the big like, lack of supplies. Um, but, you know, we, we leave it available for everybody. Like, you know, we try to be super accommodating with the guests. Um, 
if they want to use our uh, detergent and fabric softener that's out, they could use it. If they want to use our Windex, they could use it. I mean, it's a home. It's their home while they're renting it. They're not going to take anything. If they take anything, I'll know it, but they don't. <laughs> that's not bad at all, though. You know, it sounds like you guys kind of lucked out like bandits, you know, with just having things on hand and, you know, when everything kind of went down. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then Lysol wipes became impossible to find. Like I literally went, I just you know we used them all. Everything got used at all of our places, um, and they're still they're still kind of tough to find. Like every so often I'll pop into, like Market Basket tends to have them, but they're still a limited one per customer. So I always buy one when I go into Market Basket. At least I get one extra one. Exactly, one's yeah. better than none. <laughs> it certainly is. But um, yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Um, so to kind of stem off that, you know, what's kind of like your drive and your vision, you know, for your rentals and stuff? Like, do you want to, mm -hmm. are you looking to scale or, you know, just kind of like keep maintaining the ones that you have or what's kind of your strategy? You know, I, I set a goal a couple of years ago of doing one deal a year for 10 in a row, just to see if I can get 10 things, you know, under my belt. And we... I did like, I did one in 2016, one in 2017. I did one in eight, I, I did like one in 16, 17, 18. And then I did like a bunch in 19. And then I did nothing last year. And I'm so bummed out like that. I don't have anything new from uh, 2020. Like I think 16, we did the house in New Hampshire. 17, we bought the land across the street uh, yeah. from our property, which is another buildable lot. 18, we did Provincetown. Um, 19, we did another lot, another, the land that abuts the land that I bought in 2017. And we merged the two lots. Um, the, the town of Farmington put a lot up for sale. They put like seven lots in our community up for sale. Uh, they were like tax taken. So we, we bought one and merged it in. So like the land we have, if we build on it, so it is, is larger now. Uh, and that same year I did two syndication deals. Um, I think that was in 19 and then we bought a commercial condo in 19 so like where rory um my husband's rory gill um he owns next home title town real estate which is um uh a affiliate of next home it's a national brand uh here in boston uh and it's right on a street in south boston so there was a new building that went up um just steps away from the broadway t-stop uh and near fort point and uh, he was looking for new space. Uh, he moved out from where he was operating, which was a WeWork location on Melcher Street in Fort Point. Um, and we were just looking for space and didn't see any rentals that we liked. There was one rental that we almost got, but you know, I think I mentioned to you, like the agent, I feel like he played us and he basically wanted to get a second uh, offer. So he could get his you know, first clients you know, to actually move forward with them wanting in the space. And that's exactly what he did and i'll never forget it um but it it helped us because now we bought this great commercial condo uh in this brand new building on a street and the whole corridor is just it's on fire i mean like there's just life sciences buildings going up there i just saw this huge proposal for all this great new outdoor space that they're doing at fort point right down the street um so we think i think that's actually gonna be a sleeper hit like that one commercial condo because it's not too big either it's like 600 square feet so like it's the perfect little size for an office um, and it's great visibility, but we did that in 19 also. So even though I didn't do anything last year, I'm going to blame it on the pandemic and just the craziness of a new baby. And the fact that I did a few of 
a few things in 19. I did like three or four in 19. So, so I think the goal is still to continue on um, yeah. that path of like one a year for the next, I guess now five years, um, whatever that looks like. I think I probably have, right now I'm working on um, a construction loan for, um, for the land that we have up in New Hampshire. Yep. Uh, I'm just, it's going a little slowly to kind of get uh, some of the um, ducks in a row for the actual project. The financing is fine, um, but finding builders these days is hard. <laughs> so, so there's that. And then that might be it that I can qualify for before things start getting down the commercial um, or commercial loans. Uh, but that's okay because once once you kind of go into the commercial loans, they're valuing property based on I believe it's all valued on like the rentals of you know the rental income instead of like what you could qualify for with your W two income. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't not know. an expert, not a real estate guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I don't know too too much about commercial, but I think it's yeah. focused more on like the capitalization rate. And like more on yeah. the actual like piece of property itself rather than kind of like the individual. Um, yeah. But again, same I, thing. I, no expert. I, th <laughs> I think I think the I think the good news also with um with me if I do go down that that route is that you know I have a number of years now of rental income that I and, and a track record of showing that I can be a landlord even though it's a short term rental landlord. It's it, you know, as far as I know it still counts. Um, and I know that uh, lenders will will look to that and say, well, have you ever done this before? So at least I have that going. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it'll be nice to to be able to do another couple of deals the next couple of years. Like by no means am I, um, you know, I don't have like money burning a hole in my pocket that I have to go do like a, you know, 1031 exchange or, or you know, or I feel bad that I'm not putting any money to use. Yeah. Um, because everything's kind of working the way it's supposed to work right now. Um, you know, I have some money in the, in the market as well, you know, like the stock market, like retirement money and whatnot, and that's doing great. So, so I don't know. So we'll see next couple of years. Um, I I'd like to take on another couple of projects. Uh, we have looked at multis in some communities on the North shore, haven't found the right deal yet. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what the next ones are. Yeah, definitely. It it definitely doesn't help, you know, with the market and stuff now, you know, the yeah. extremely limited inventory. And you know, I see it too, you know, going to see properties and stuff like the volume is, is so limited. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, that's causing, you know, all the, the buyers out there to um, pretty much fight over the very limited inventory. Right, you know, when, right. And not, not even fight over the scraps because it's, it's good inventory, but there's yeah. just very little of it. You know, you're having... You know, everything is in the suburbs is a bidding war right now, and people are, you know, putting offers in 10% above asking and not getting them. Yep, exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> Hopefully, things start to kind of, you know, equal out, you know, in the coming months, but who knows? Yeah, it's, you know, interest rates are super low right now, so people can afford more. Um, jobs are coming back in many in industries, many never lost you know, jobs. I mean, I know some industries were, were devastated, like, you know, anything with the service industry, entertainment, restaurants. I mean, it's, it, it's still bad. Um, 
but you know boston's pretty diversified and i think there's still a lot of people around here that can afford and life goes on i mean people still get married and have babies right and they're and and they still need more space so you know i think that that's that's continuing not the problem but there's there's a there's a huge cohort of people that are um, entering you know first time home buyer primary years uh, more than it's been in 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 decades so i think you're going to see a lot more competition because there's a lot more people out there physically that want to stop renting that want to move on with their lives that want to be able to get married and have kids and have a little bit bigger space so you know this is going to be a bit of a crazy year i think yeah definitely it's yeah. definitely going to be very interesting yeah so so we don't need to do anything like that's what i'm saying like i don't need to do anything rash when yeah if the conditions aren't right. Yep. But who knows, maybe we'll look back four or five years and say, oh man, it was so cheap in 2021. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but hey, who knows? I mean, you know, things obviously are are working, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's fan like fantastic that, you know, you're not kind of like pushed to do something, I guess you could say, you know, things are kind of, you know, doing their thing and yeah. And you know, and I think, I think that that's kind of very contrary to what, um, what a lot of people in this space might might think. I mean, I'm in my 40s, so you know, you're a lot younger. Like you have, you know, a couple more decades of accumulation right now. And you know, I never thought I'd reach the age of like, you know, saying, well, I wish I did this when I was your age, but like I'm at it. Like, you know, and things are fine right now. But yeah, um, you know, I always tell people like one one of your questions um that you'll probably get to, but I'll 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 spoil the fun was, uh, you know, what's the best piece of advice to new investors wanting to start and manage um, their rental portfolio. Yep. And, you know, I, I work with some, some of my coworkers at like my full-time for their first place. They know that I have some investments myself. They know that I'm interested in the space. So they always ask me questions and they know about Rory. So like they know that I'm knowledgeable. Um, I always recommend getting a multi like to everybody. I'm like, go find a duplex if you can. Like I, if, if I could have done it over, I would do that like this yeah. second, like I'm not going to do it right now because I'm further in my life and, and quite frankly, don't need to. But yeah. if I, if I was in my twenties and I was buying my first place, that's what you do. And then you move a year later and you move a year later and you keep doing that. And that's how a lot of people have, have built the portfolios over the past like decade in between when we had the last downturn and now, and they did it the right way. And I still think it's the right way to do it. So some people listen to me, some people, they still have their dream of the, you know, the big single family home as their first place. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> well, fine. You, you know, you, you do you, but, um, you know, wealth building, I think that that's one thing that I would do a little differently, but, you know, I don't need to accumulate the most anything like, there's always going to be another deal. Like if you don't get this one, there's going to be another one. And, you know, I only need enough to be happy. Um, I don't know if people like get tripped up on wanting more and more and more, but like, I'm not looking to build up this massive portfolio and then, you know, have a staff of people working for us and, you know, like then go wrap it up and sell it to somebody for millions. I mean, like I, I want enough to be able to live happily but anything excess I don't need. So yep. I don't worry about it. Like if, if the, if the timing and the deal is right, great. If it adds into the portfolio um, that we have smartly, then I'll do it, but we're not going to just do these deals just to 
get deals under our belt that are bad deals because then they just become a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. And time is so precious. Like it's so cliche, but like, I don't have any time. <laughs> like, you know, it's, I don't know how people with multiple kids do it. I just don't. But we like, there's an agent that works for Rory, great guy, you know, number of kids. I don't know how they do it. Like, it's tough. Like, I don't know how I, I it's tough with the one child yeah. to do a full-time gig and do this real estate on the side and help him with his business and raise a baby. Like it's, it's, it's kind of a lot. So that's why I don't need to accumulate as many properties as I can. I just, when I'm ready for another one, I just go get another one. I feel like that's wicked valuable, you know, just kind of stemming back to like, you know, how much is going to make me happy, you know, rather than just, you know, getting as many as you can. And, you know, like for some people, that's great. You know, for others, you know, they're completely content with having, you know, just a couple and, you know, still yeah. being able to to harness like most of their time, um, you know, and like but be with their family and everything. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's, that's it at the end of the day is, you know, like what's going to make you happy, you know? Yeah. I, I think it has to do with, you know, just stage in life. I mean, I've always said going through your twenties is a lot of different stages of life. Like for a lot of people, it's, you know, their early college years, they're just after college years, you know, in their first real job and then their second real job and their third real job and kind of like maybe a, a real relationship. Um, and then maybe they get married or not. I mean, around here, people get married later, like in their thirties. But, you know, and then people want to live like, you know, you want to have a great social life, you know, through your 20s, you want to go to the gym, you want to go to the juice bar, you want to do all the fancy stuff that we see on Instagram. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if people want to live their lives, they should, but they should also, I think, you know, all the, all the setup that you guys do in your, that people do in their 20s, like really puts you on the right page in the, in the subsequent decades. So, you know, if there's a way for some people to, you know, to hear this, if, if you are in your early to mid twenties listening, and if you're able to get that first and second and third place, what you're doing is you're doing it before you get married and before you have that, that child. And then you could still live in one of these places, you know, during the first couple of years of, you know, raising your, your baby or your first baby, if you're going to have two or three. Yeah. Um, but once you move out to that, you know, larger single family home, wherever it is, which a lot of people do, you'll have all this stuff in your portfolio already. Like right now, I'm not going to go do that because I'm, it's just, it's just yeah. later in life. Yep. Um, but I mean, that's, you hear it on all the podcasts. I mean, like bigger pockets, they talk about it all the time. Um, that's just, that's, it works. It really does. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm totally going to make that a highlight clip. <laughs> that advice. That's, it's so true. You know, as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's just a common thing, you know, that that a lot of people, uh, you know, that I've kind of talked to say as well, you know, to just kind of like, like focus on setting everything up. And then, you know, you'll be able to kind of do maybe the things that you actually kind of want to do. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely very true. But I, I will say the short term rentals that I mean, they mostly are fun. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, it's an interest. Like I like to, I like to do what I'm doing with them. There absolutely have been times, not in the not so distant past that I've been like, I'm done with this. This sucks. I'm going to sell the place. Like, you know, we had a couple things happen in Provincetown last year where um, our, our um, most of the living area is below grade. 
because uh, it's a four unit condo building and our place happens to be, I call it the runt unit. Um, it's the smallest unit of the building and the bathrooms downstairs, the toilet and the, um, the bathtub, everything pumps up, right? Cause it's below grade. So you gotta you know, pump oh, yeah. everything out into the, into the septic. Um, we're actually not even on the um, sewer system in Provincetown, uh, which there are some places on the sewer system, some have septic. So um, I, I, I learned a lot about, you know, the tank that was beneath the, um, the toilet. And I had a tank that was just old, like they, the company that made it went out of business and it just leaked. And sometimes it would leak out and guests would say something like it would just kind of creep, it would, water finds its way out, right? You know, water will find the easiest way out. Yeah. Uh, it would find its way out from underneath the console sink that we had in the bathroom. And we couldn't figure out what the heck it was. Like we thought, for the longest time, we thought it was, um, you know, from the shower. And as it turned out, we had to rip up the whole bathroom to figure out what it was. But I got all that replaced. You know, it's it's money. It sucks, but it's money. You know, it's like they're just in my mind, they're just numbers in an account. Yep. They go up and down. You know, hopefully they go up. But we got it all fixed. I was more stressed out by like the experience that I was supplying for people. And I was giving credits whenever it just got really sucky. But we got through it. People understood. And then like just when everything is all set, like I, you know, another issue popped up where it's like the sump pump in the common area, uh, the battery was draining, for example, and like it would beep. So when people are sleeping downstairs, they'd hear this battery in a sump pump beeping. And the only way to get it to stop beeping was to take the terminals off of it and then figure out what was going on. And like, it's just, it's little frustrations like that, that, you know, the other part of me says, this is why you need to have people managing properties. Um, and those things would just get me because like, I, I remember getting like two, oh, another thing happened. Like, I mean, the cable went out, like, or the internet went out um, in, in Provincetown and I had nothing to do with it. It was some idiots that were, that came to repair a different unit in the building and they disconnected the internet to our unit instead because they had all the wires tripped up so instead my guests had no internet and all my TV down there is based on internet. So I'm like, this just stinks. Like, and these, these kind of things happen at like 10 o'clock at night when you're trying to put the baby to bed and like, you're just, you know, a couple glasses of wine into the evening and you just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. But you know, that's, it's, it's, it's part of the gig. Um, it, it's frustrating when it happens, but when it doesn't happen, you know, it, it's all good and knock wood things since then have been fine. Like it all gets fixed. You just kind of hope that people don't give you a bad review and the easy way to try to get them not to do that is either don't encourage them to give you a review or <laughs> you know you give credits you yeah. know like hey i'll give you a free night i'll pay for your cleaning fee i'll do this um that kind of stuff happens but i i'm very i'm very cognizant of the customer experience um and i think you know one thing that i've learned just from working for so long like i've worked in sales jobs for quite some time is is that you know the relationships are super important and you just don't want to damage those, um, especially when they can leave you a scathing review um, that is will affect future bookings. So I try to over communicate with people. Um, you know, all of my uh, I don't call them instructions. I call it helpful information because I think instruction sounds like here's the things that you have to do at my house. <laughs> yeah. Helpful information is like here's some helpful things that will help out. You know. Yeah. So, you know, all the helpful information is super detailed, like, you know, probably way too much, but like many people have commented saying they, how much they appreciated how um, much information I gave them. 
um, you know, it's easy to get a hold of me, uh, you know, if you're renting a place, if you're there, I, you know, I'll, I'll respond to anything, whether it's a message on Airbnb or, or by text. Um, and I, you just, you put the effort into it. Like, and I think that people appreciate the effort, even if like the outcome isn't exactly what they wanted. Um, you just kind of have to deal with it. Like, you know, ignoring it's even worse. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, definitely. I've heard that from, um, uh, a couple other people, you know, like just like how important it is to take care of, you know, your customer, I guess you could say, yeah. um, or your tenant, you know, whatever the situation is and both actually, I mean, yeah, your customer, and your tenant. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And just like how valuable that really is. Like there was mm -hmm. another guy uh, that I interviewed a couple episodes ago where uh, there was like a, a sewer pipe or something that went, I forget exactly what the situation was, but mm. like he kind of went out of his way to, you know, give the the current tenants of that unit, you know, like a hotel room and everything and like make sure they were extremely taken care of. And, um, you know, they were kind of blown away, you know, with the situation that had happened and how we reacted to it and everything. And, yeah. you know, it just like so like customer focused and people focused. You know, because that's what it is at the end of the day, right? Is is people that that run all these operations. You know, I mean, yeah, and it's not just that; it's the people that actually you need that are on the ground. Um, that you know are repair people. I mean, we we do actually have a property management company in Provincetown that uh, does help with the building, and actually, I I have a direct connection to them as well because as paying into the condo association. Uh, I'm entitled to use them for services and any repairs and stuff that like you need, like last minute, I could just call them and then they mark it up by, I think like 15%, like, you know, as part of the management fee, which is totally reasonable. Yeah. Um, but you need people on the ground, like that situation where the, where the um, sump pumps uh, backup battery was beeping. Um, I think I ended up like comping, the guests like a hundred bucks that night or something like I was like, you know, why don't you guys go out and grab a dinner or something on me and I'll get this, you know, taken care of in the morning and property management sent somebody over there nine 30 the next morning with a wrench and they undid it. And, yep. you know, I would not ask a guest to go take a look at a battery of a sump pump and just say, okay, it's just this wrench, just take those things off it. Like that's a little, I think that is a bit much. Yeah. Some people <laughs> like to be troubleshooting. Like they like to try to help figure it out because they want to be handy but, you know, I don't want to, I don't want someone to do the wrong thing, unplug the wrong thing, get zapped in electricity. I mean, obviously there's liability involved. So, you know, as long as I, I try to solve it as quickly as possible and give them a little compensation, I think the way I see it is like, if I give a hundred bucks back on a rental, I just made a hundred dollars less instead of I gave them a hundred dollars, but yeah. it's still a hundred dollars, you know, which I'd rather have in my pocket. But, you know, again, they're, they're, they're numbers, they're numbers in an account. They go up and down. That's all it is, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a really great way of looking at it. That's very interesting. If I have more numbers, then I could buy more things, but <laughs> I don't need to buy tons of things. Like I'll buy things when I want to buy things. And if I have enough numbers to do it, then I'll go do it. All right, guys, that concludes our creating wealth podcast episode for today. I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Bigger Pockets. Until next time, let's build together. <laughs>